As you're aware, we've been in a series called Renewed and Refreshed. This is a journey through the Psalms. It's a, it's a series in which we are looking to experience renewal and refreshment in our faith. We are looking to experience God in new ways, to find ourselves revitalized, to find ourselves re-energized, to be mobilized, and to be motivated. For the most profound and enduring prayers of all time, both Christians and Jews have looked to the Psalms for a long time. Many centuries after these texts were first used as prayers, as cries out to the Lord, and, at, and as songs, we continue to find inspiration in them. And they continue to fuel some of our boldest and most intimate songs and prayers. It's the humanity that we find in the Psalms that truly compels us, that truly energizes us. It captivates our attention. There's artistry in the imagery that the psalmists use. It makes them unforgettable. With their vivid word pictures and pleasing rhythms, they both capture our imagination and they remain imprinted on our minds and in our hearts for a long time. It's why we're looking at this series of psalms for renewal and refreshment. It's also why we're looking to memorize Psalms 8 together is because of the vivid imagery we find in them. Throughout the Psalms, we find images of water, rivers, and fountain. And these, these are physical and, and visual representations of God's love and God's mercy. In the same way, throughout the Psalms, we find wilted grass, deserts, and wasted bodies representing a life and a human condition that is lived apart from God. This beautiful symbolism is why we're looking to the Psalms in this series to experience both renewal and refreshment. This morning, we continue that journey through Psalm 72. In Psalm 72, we're looking at, an, at, a, at, a, at a king's uh, prayer, and it's going to teach us what it means to be a visionary representation of the kingdom. We'll look at what it means for us to experience renewal and refreshment from the visionary images we find here, but also to be visionaries ourselves. If you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to open up to Psalm 72. If you don't, you can use the Red Pew Bible in front of you. It is on page 574. And if you don't have a Bible with you, please, as you stop me on the way out and say hello, just let me know and I'd be glad to also get a Bible uh, for your use. Before we get started reading Psalm 72, and as you're finding it in your Bibles, Psalm 72 is a prayer that was used as the blessing and the ordination of a king. So when kings were put into power and, when, and they were released and ordained into their position, this is a prayer, a cry that was said over them, a blessing, and it was this, a, a cry out for them to be empowered with God. Many commentaries and historians agree that it was a prayer that was probably penned by David. And it was penned by David for the coming rule of his successor, King Solomon. So as we read this, there's something I want you to be alert of. I want you to, to, to pay attention to what themes you may notice in Psalm 72. What images come to mind? What, what is it that stands out to you as we read through this together? Also, if you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen and uh, just, just look for what stands out to you, what catches you. And, and often what catches us, we call these kairos moments. Just, this is where God wants to speak to you about his goodness today. Psalm 72. 
Endow the king your just, with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, through all generations. May he be like rain falling on a a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and prosperity around to the moon is no more. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and from violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given to him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. May grain abound throughout the land. On the tops of the hills may it sway. May the crops flourish like Lebanon and thrive like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. Then all nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory As we read through Psalm 72, you may have noticed it revolves around five primary topics. And maybe as you were reading through, these were some of the topics or the themes that grabbed you, the images that grabbed you. You may have noticed that it's speaking to the reign of the kingdom in these five areas. Ruling the needy graciously, agricultural fertility, the the king's longevity, the king's influence, and the source of his righteous rule. These are the five areas in which we see this psalm speaking to. There's also seven characteristics that the kings were to uphold and and characteristics that described a righteous king so that we knew what a godly rule looked like. And this is the seven characteristics that we find as we read through there. There was a sense of God's sense of justice, God's sense of righteousness, There was a look at righteous judge who judges afflicted ones justly. There's the idea of prospering the natural land, defending the afflicted people, saving the children of the needy, and crushing any sense of oppression or oppressor. These are some of the things that might have grabbed you as we read through here and what is essential to what we're going to be looking at in Psalm 72 this morning. If you have your your bulletins with you, there's some blanks in them. I'd encourage you to take notes and follow along. We don't grab everything on the first time, and I encourage you this week just to to meditate, to reflect, to to pray and engage Psalm 72 in your own time, in the morning before your day gets started, and just see what the Lord may be saying to you through it. First, in Psalm 72, we find a prayer for a renewed and refreshed vision of the kingdom in the lives of God's people. We engage Psalm 72 this morning in search for renewal and refreshment in our faith. 
as a prayer, we see this as a prayer we too may be called as a church to say in principle and to pray in principle. In the days that this psalm was, was composed and written, kings were the physical and earthly representation of God's kingdom. Through the king, it was a, people were able to taste what God's kingdom might look like as long as the king was righteous and good. In the same way, we understood through a bad king everything that God's kingdom was not. So as we look at Psalm 72, let's remember, this is a psalmist prayer over a king, a blessing over a king that just calls for a renewed and refreshed vision of the kingdom and the lives of God's people through the rule of a king. In some ways, you could say it's a blessing so that the king can catch a visionary glimpse of what God's kingdom looks like and to make his kingdom on earth look like God's kingdom. Jonathan Swift, who was a poet and a cleric in the 1700s, as well as an author of classic books like Gulliver's Travels, says this about vision. Vision is the art of seeing what is invisible to others. Seeing the rule of the kingdom of God was the job of the kings. It was the challenge that was given to them through this prayer. To see what is seemingly invisible to others and to act on it. We too, in the same way, are called to be visionaries. And this idea from Jonathan Swift resonates with that. We are called to see the invisible. The kings were called to see what was invisible. The first part of this prayer cries out to God to empower the king to mirror a visionary illustration of God's ways and justice. The first thing that we see spoken over the king, the first thing we see composed as a blessing and a prayer for the king, is the idea that justice is important to the ways of God. The psalm was prayed over new kings and also in times of transition and and upheaval in the kingdom. The psalm desires that people experience God's heavenly kingdom in the here and the now on earth through the visionary illustration of earthly justice. It was a taste of what was to come. So Psalm 72 desires for God to empower the king to be a visionary of the kingdom. Next, we see that the psalmist asks God to allow the natural world to also provide a visionary taste of the goodness of God's kingdom. A few weeks ago, I looked at Psalm 68 when I was up here, and we looked at how connected at times the the natural world and the supernatural world are connected. At times that the rule of a king was also reflected on the natural world around them. So here as the psalmist is is speaking life over the king and calling him to mission, to mirror God, we also see that he cries out to God and says, you know, God bless the land. So not only do we sense who you are through the king, but we can also sense how good you are through the things that we grow, through the the bounty and the fruitfulness of our, our fields. Let us know what it means to be at your table in the kingdom through a to just a goodness and a visionary taste of your goodness of your kingdom. I think we all enjoy having a good harvest and, and being able to stop if you don't grow your own foods at a farm stand and getting some fresh fruit. We know the, the goodness found in there. The psalmist is equating the goodness found there and in the land to that of which we find in the kingdom of God. 
Last night, I, I took a drive, and I decided that I just needed to watch the sunset as it glowed over the cornfields. And so I left my house in East Petersburg as the sun was setting, drove all the way to Whitehorse, then came back to East Petersburg through the countryside. Been, was able to stop there at the dam in, in uh, Stumptown and just reflect and come up through Leolo and Snake Hill Road and just watch the red sunset reflect across fields and fields of green corn that were looking very healthy. The psalmist wants the people of God to experience the beauty in God's goodness, to be able to sense his, his, his kingdom as they look out on a healthy and fruitful harvest. We also see that the psalm is asking God to equip the king to be a visionary example of God's protection to their community. In this psalm, we see that he's crying out to God and he's saying, protect us from other kings. Protect us from things that look to oppress us. Protect us from those who are both inside and outside of our context that may look to oppress God's people or do them harm. God is a caring God who cares about people's protection, cares about loving on them and, and, and bringing them into a sense of his care and his trust. This psalm is showing that it's also asking God to equip the king to be a visionary example of God's protection to their community. As he continues, the psalmist then asks for a blessed long rule for the king so that the people can experience this visionary rhythm of the kingdom for a long time. We all have favorite things that we say, too much of that cannot be a bad thing. For my daughter, it might be pizza. For me, I'm pretty sure I could eat a sub every day of my life, and I'd be pretty happy, right? We, we say there's certain things that we cannot have too much of because it's just that good, or we enjoy it that much. We see the psalmist cry out to God that may the king rule as long as the sun shines and as long as the moon exists. Why? Because they want the people to be able to experience the goodness and a sense of God's kingdom in the here and the now for a long time. It has nothing to do personally with the king and if he's a personable king or a nice king. They want people to experience a long sense of who God is and what he wants to do for us. As, as we uh, have hardships and, and we quickly look back towards glory days and where everything was good, and we just wish we could long for that time again. Sometimes when we are able to recognize we are in those good times, we hope those good times never end. And that we can just sit there and bask in it and realize, hey, this is, this is the good life. This is what heaven must be like. One of my favorite movies, Field of Dreams, uh, a guy comes back from... from uh, heaven, and, he, and he's here to play baseball. If you've never seen the movie, a guy mows his cornfield down, and he builds a baseball field, and uh, the Black Sox of the scandal in 1908 come back, 1919, one of those, and, and the first thing he says is he walks on the field and looks across this baseball field in the middle of uh, an Iowa cornfield. He says, is this heaven? And the guy answers, no, it's Iowa. In the same way, This psalmist is crying out that people sense a good king, the rule of a good king, so that they can go, is this heaven? They want freedom and peace 
for the people. The psalmist then also seemingly draws a visionary comparison between a good king and the messianic rule of God to come. Now, there's huge debates between historians and commentaries that this is, this is or is not a messianic uh, passage. This is or not telling about the forecoming way of Christ. It, regardless if we believe it is pointing to the way of Christ or the coming of Christ, we do see this. Starting in verse 12, it is obvious that the psalmist list the acts of a good and just king with a symbolic comparison that can only be found in a messianic leader or in the Messiah or in the coming of Jesus. So where earthly kings at this time and those who were over empires thought they were demigods, people who were half God, half man, or that they would be immortal, God's kings were not called to be about self, but were to be about a messianic rule to their people. They were called to mirror the ways of the coming Messiah to the people of God. As we see the prayer come to an end, it ends with a praising recognition of the source of this refreshing and renewing visionary sense of the kingdom, God. See, a, a good king is a good thing, and a good kingdom where it's comfortable is a good thing, but it cannot take away from where the source of that good king gets his ways and the good kingdom gets its ideas. We can be about good things, but unless we see that it's Jesus and the kingdom of God driving us to those good things, they are just good things. They are just pointless. They don't point to anything greater or more magnificent. They don't in any way, as Psalm 8 says, Praise God for his majestic ways. When we act in our own ability, we praise ourselves. But when we act as these kings were called to act, they mirror and they rule the ability, they rule with the ability of God. When we act in the ways of the Messiah, we too should not be focused on doing our own good thing, but being a source but seeing God as the source to all of our wisdom and to all of our ability, to be our motivation, to be our drive. Like this psalm, we should pray together and work for a visionary glimpse of the ways and justice of God to our neighbors. We do not operate in times of kings and kingdoms anymore. And throughout the relevations of Jesus, we are not called to be rulers of power and position. But Jesus did announce that the kingdom was going to be released in the here and the now. So we are no longer called to mirror the kingdom, but rather to exercise it and its power in the here and the now. The community Jesus called us to is not a kingdom. It isn't one to beat people with power. It is one which we are called to live in as the church, but with a similar duty as the king's. We are called to reflect the ways of God and his kingdom to our neighbors and to each other. The power of the kingdom is around us. Let's experience it. Let's engage it. Let's do justice. Let's raise the dead and heal the sick. Let's aid the broken. But let's make sure we see who our source is and that it's not to praise ourselves, but to give our neighbors a glimpse of the renewing and refreshing sense of who God is. 
So before we close, how does this aid our faith with renewal and refreshment? How does this help us experience renewal and refreshment in our faith and engage us in our faith with God? There's three things I want to say about that. First, we should pray this prayer for the church like the psalmist did for the kings so that we can discover how to be an example of of God's renewal in our world. We need to be willing to pray for the church, to see our duty and commitment to the church, and pray that God will be able to speak to us on how we should act as the church in the world. Secondly, none of us ever experience perfect, nonstop refreshment at all times in our faith. Like these candles that stand behind me, surrounded by refreshing glasses of water, they're burned out. We do not burn at the wick all the time. We are called to represent the refreshment of God's kingdom to each other in our local faith community, both in plentiful times and burned out times. You will not experience renewal and refreshment from the pulpit and through worship in the same way that a committed community sharing in communal aspects and living together in invested ways will be able to live it out to each other. Both in times of being burned out and in times of plentiful, we need to realize in the same way the kings were called to reflect the kingdom, we are called to reflect the kingdom and its goodness to each other. Without judgment, expectation, or any other spirit that drives us besides the spirit of God. Third, there is one perfect king who wants to be the only source for all that we are and represent to each other and to our neighbors. Let's be willing to come and taste his kingdom so that we can represent it, as the psalm says, like rain that fell on a mowed field. Let us engage the perfect king as a source to who we are, who we are together, and what our purpose is in this world. We get so bogged down and bothered by the busyness of life, and we don't know how to juggle everything at one time. But it's because we're engaging the wrong thing first. To experience renewal and refreshment in our faith, it doesn't mean we need to figure out how to balance life first But we need to learn how to praise and seek God first. We need to be willing to uh, press into his heart and and to practice spiritual disciplines that align ourselves to that and only that. The rest will fall into place. We are to cast our cares on him. We aren't worried about the everyday. God will hand out the needs and the duties of the day. We are called just to focus on the king. Thomas Edison, he was an American inventor and businessman. He developed many devices that greatly influenced American life and life around the world, including the phonograph, the motion picture camera, and long-lasting practical electric light bulbs. Thomas Edison was a prolific inventor. He executed his visions contagiously. You might not know this, but Thomas held 1,093 patents in the U.S. alone for his inventions. He also went on to own other patents patents in the United Kingdom, France, and Germany. He said this quote when asked about his vision. 
Vision without execution is hallucination. It's great if we can come together and we can experience God, but at one point, for lack of a better word, we need to pull the trigger. We need to actually walk it out. The king's duty was to catch a vision of the kingdom of God and to be instruments of it in the here and the now. Our call, likewise, is to catch a vision of the kingdom of God and to be instruments of it in the kingdom and now. I close on this, this story and this call. A few years ago when I was attending the Lancaster Vineyard Church, I wanted to be a visionary representation of the kingdom to my neighborhood. So Katie and I built a team within the church, and we adopted a park in a city that is now a really nice park, but at the time it was abandoned. The grass was up to, to my knees, and no one cared about it. There was broken glass. There were bums living in it. You could find heroin needles sticking in the soil. A couple walks through it, and I found graffiti and bullet shells. And so we called the city, and I said, I want to adopt that park at no cost to you. They were quite surprised, and we told them, we want that park to be a sense of the kingdom of God. They didn't care about that, but they did care that somebody was going to mow the grass for free. In these pictures that I have here, this is some of the excitement that built. So we would have uh, one or two meetups a month where people, kids, people that were Christians, people that were not Christians would come together and work in the park. When we took over the gardens, the gardens were even higher than the grass and they were up to my waist and they were full of thorns and thistles, things that kids would bring to me and ask what this was and I'd quickly have to tell them to go do something else in the park. The park was a mess, but we wanted it to sense, be a sense, a visionary sense of the kingdom of God. So we started cleaning it up. We started mowing it. We mulched it. We would plant plants in it. And the next day, people would rip the plants out and put them in their own gardens around the city. And we'd come back and we'd replant new ones. And one day, somebody said, why do you keep doing that when we rip them out? Why do you erase the graffiti when we keep putting it on there? And I said, because... I think that's what Jesus would do, I told him. He was the son of a Farrakhan Muslim, and he just said, hmm, Jesus, explicitive, must be cool. Jesus is cool. I believe Jesus is cool, and I believe he's contagiously cool, and that he calls us to be visionary representations of his kingdom to our neighbors. In this first picture with the balloons, we decided one day that we were going to also hand out hot dogs. 683 people showed up, cared for their own park, bounced in a bounce house, and joined together for four hours in community. It was an amazing time. And I imagine I could have asked the question, is this what heaven is like? But no. In fact, it was a park built on a broken down building that still stood there slightly, that used to be a brewery, and broke the law throughout the prohibition. It's amazing where we can find the kingdom of God when we're willing. So I leave you with this challenge. September 12th, East Petersburg Borough Park. It's a Saturday. We have busy Saturdays. We have things we want to do. We already have things planned on this Saturday. I understand that. But the park has won a facelift from a company called Paul Davis. And they were going to fix our park. 
they are going to work on giving a facelift to it. They've asked us to be part of it. I went down to a borough meeting the Wednesday that we had VBS, and, and I said, we have interest in being part of this. Thank you for the invitation. The room, which was packed, stood and applauded. I heard comments like, you mean your people want to invest in our life? We have been here since 1720. Many of our neighbors don't know that we are neighbors or that we care about anything outside of meeting here Sunday mornings. I implore you to be instruments of the kingdom. Like the kings in Psalm 72, to catch a vision of the kingdom and what could be and to join with me on September 12th to be part of this community workday. Put your busyness aside. Hurry up with the things that you have assigned and get over here and help. From 8 a.m. to early afternoon, there's going to be mulching, there's going to be painting, there's going to be building, it's going to be time of cookout and community hangout. This is an opportunity for us to be visionary of the kingdom of God. I invite the worship team now to lead us. Let us cry out in song. Let us pray to be equipped inspired and empowered to mirror the kingdom of God as the church to each other and to our neighborhood. This morning we gather together and explore and commit ourselves to the teaching of Jesus and the apostles, to friendship with each other, and to prayer for our weary and withered souls. But we also gather with a deep sense of who God is and who he's calling us to be. I hope you find space here, but I hope you also find engagement to join us on September 12th and be Jesus to our neighbors, even if it's not fun for you or uncomfortable for you, because I'm sure at times in our trespasses, Jesus had those same ideas about us. It's not always fun being with my kids. They're a complaining bunch of group. They're a group that's kind of broken and they keep doing the stupid same things over and again. I plant pretty flowers for them and they don't like them. They like to put graffiti over the imagery I gave them. I invite you to stand with me, to cry out in song as we, as we press into the heart of God to be equipped, inspired, and empowered in the same way the kings had the blessing to be empowered spoken over them.